hopefully finish up this uh, thought that we started last week, uh, the burden of wealth. Um, uh, th- this this idea of wealth is something that I think a lot of people actually misunderstand, and we're going to talk more about it. But on the surface, um, Jesus is talking about money on the surface, but as we talked about last week, the message is is more about the heart than it is money. Uh, because Jesus is far more concerned about our hearts than he is our, our, our pocketbooks. Now, let me. having said that, let me ask you a question. Does God need your money? <laughs> okay. Okay. We, God does not need our money. But we need to give. Because when we give, it is a sign of what? Well, obedience, absolutely. Love, worship, faith. Uh, Okay, okay. Huh? Spiritual maturity, absolutely. Ownership. Exactly. So... All of those reasons are why we give, not because God needs our money. Uh, I, I had a, you know, because of the, the property we own out on Farm District Road, um, you know, we, we know that in order to develop that property uh, with the road improvements and everything that we would have to do, we, we're looking at two, $2 million um, before they even talk to us about a building, uh, just in road improvements. And I had somebody tell me, well, oh, man, that's a lot of money. And, I, and I, I asked them this question. I said, tell me which is harder for God to do, to give us $2 million or to give us $2? It's equal. Because $2 million means nothing to God. And if God wants us to develop that property, guess what? One of you are going to win the lottery. I don't know. <laughs> you know, somebody asked me about that one day. I was like, well, it's kind of hard to win the lottery if you never play it. <clears throat> so, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it just, it, it's, it, it's just money. It's, it's just money. Matthew chapter 6, let's uh, read uh, in verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where uh, moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light, uh, if therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? 
No man can serve two masters. Neither, for, for either he shall hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. <clears throat> you cannot serve God and mammon. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you again for this opportunity to be here tonight. Thank you for your word and the, 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 the power of your word that changes lives. And Lord, we ask that you would speak to us, encourage us, help us to be more like you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Last week I read you a quite lengthy part of an article that I read written by the owner of Hobby Lobby. Um, and I wanted to reread just a smaller portion of it to kind of refresh our memories of what, what he said uh, in part. Uh, but this is what he wrote. Uh, As our company grew, that idea began to bother me more and more. Well-meaning attorneys and accountants advised me to simply pass ownership to my children and grandchildren. It didn't seem fair to me that I might change or even ruin the future of grandchildren who had not even been born yet. Wealth can be a curse and in most cases, excuse me, and is in most cases. And the, the title of the message that I started last week was The Burden of Wealth. And the burden, the burden of wealth, again, is nothing, has nothing to do with the size of your bank account. Uh, it has everything to do with the condition of our hearts. And that is, that is the one thing that Jesus Christ is after in your life, is your heart. <clears throat> I have had the opportunity, uh, because of some, my past life before being a pastor, um, I have uh, had opportunity to rub shoulders, if you would, with some very, very wealthy people. Uh, my wife and I actually stayed with one of these very, very wealthy people. Um, uh, they lived in Pennsylvania. Uh, we stayed with them for, what, a week or, uh, anyway, a week or 10 days, whatever. Um, and their house, their humble abode, they had a guest wing. And the guest wing cost $1.6 million 20 years ago. Because they built it, they built it about, they built the, the, the guest wing about 20, 20 years ago. $1.6 million. Our son, when we, <clears throat> we, we, uh, we went in, and, you know, they're showing us around my, uh, they, they, they showed us, yeah, they were showing off is what they were doing. Um, but they, they took us into the, to the, to the bathroom that we would be using. And, you know, little Tim, well, I say little Tim, he was probably 16 or so. Uh, you know, 16-year-old boy looks at that and he's like, Dad, that looks like a car wash. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know... <laughs> But then I've had the opportunity, on the flip side, because of being a missionary for many years, I've had the opportunity to rub shoulders with some very, 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 very poor people. I remember we were in, we were in Costa Rica building a church in Costa Rica. And the, 
uh, every day for lunch, one lady in the church insisted on uh, the, the work crew coming to her house because uh, she wanted to feed us for lunch every day. And you know, we didn't really think a lot about it, but this one day <clears throat> we, we, we went over and you walked in, it was like you walked into a room and there was a bed, her bed was off to one side, and then there was a long table that she had probably got some plywood and made up a table for us to sit at. Uh, and what what the rest she did with the rest of her furniture, I don't know. But then there was one room that we could see, and I was assuming that there was a bathroom back there somewhere, but I don't know. They could have had an outhouse as far as I know. But from the, the, the first day that we were there, the seat that I was sitting in, I could see into the kitchen area, what we would call the kitchen. And she had, y'all know what a, an apartment stove is? They're, 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 they're only about this wide, and they have like two burners. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, well, that's what she had for a stove. And she had one wall cabinet, what we would call a wall cabinet, with two little doors, and the whole thing was made out of plywood. And her pots and pans were hanging on the wall with hooks. And that was her kitchen. And I'll be honest with you, that was some of the best food I've ever eaten in my life, by the way. It was just phenomenal. Come to find out, the meat that she fed us meant that she would probably go for a month without meat because of what she spent to feed us Americans. I've had the opportunity to visit villages in the jungles of New Guinea where people live in grass huts. And they took us into one. And it was, it was the mo- one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. Right in the middle is where they did their cooking. And then the beds just kind of lined the perimeter, and that was their house. And I'll be honest with you, those were some of the sweetest, most kind people I've ever met in my life. They didn't know they were poor. That's just how you lived. And then I've been in countries where people, as soon as they find out you're an American, what do they do? They want everything you have. I've shared this before, but you know, when I was in New Guinea, uh, I, I made the mistake of answering a question one time. A guy asked me how many pairs of shoes I owned, and I, you know, I started counting. You know, I, I don't know, four or five, six pairs. I don't know. I never counted how many shoes I owned. And he went, <gasps> and so I asked the missionary later, what, what, "What's going on?" He's like, "Oh, you didn't say that, did you?" And I said. <laughs> 
what did I say? And he said, he said, people in New Guinea measure wealth by how many pairs of shoes you own. And I had a teenage daughter at the time. I'm thinking, well, my daughter's a millionaire. <laughs> you know, wealth is a condition of the heart. Wealth is the burden of wealth is a condition of the heart. Now, now let me ask you a question. Does money steal away our joy? It can. What is the qualifier that steals away our joy? The love of money. First Timothy chapter six and verse ten: For the love of money is the root of all evil, <clears throat> which, uh, while some covet after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many arrows. It's the love of the uh, it's the love of money that steals away joy. And the reality is this: the the infection of the love of money can attack the rich and the poor. It doesn't matter. The burden of wealth can be a heavy burden if we choose wrong. Last week I introduced what Jesus says here. He breaks down... Uh, this this idea into three characters, uh, the heart, the mind, and the will. Last week we talked about the heart, and it was entitled, the first point was uh, freedom or slavery, and we, we talked at great length about that, so obviously we're not going to talk about that tonight. But our choice determines whether we will be free or we will be enslaved to the almighty dollar. Point number two we're going to pick up uh, is the mind. The mind determines your direction. Your mind determines your, your direction. Look at verse 22. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, the whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. So let me ask you, there is a key word in these two verses. What is the key word in these two verses? Good guess. It's the eye. Okay? Okay. The eye. The eye is the passageway to the mind. Our eyes are not only a passageway to the mind, but they are also a doorway to our souls. So the eye is important. Simply put, our eye sets our direction. Our eyes can be used <clears throat> for good or evil. 
Our eyes can be used for beneficial outcomes or hurtful, harmful outcomes. The things that we see affect our whole being. The eye is the thing that gives us direction in our lives. If we allow our eyes to linger on evil, guess what will happen? Garbage in, garbage out. But at the same time, if our eyes are, uh, are, are focused on good, what will happen? It's the same, it's the same principle. Paul was singular in his focus. You know, Paul, Paul was an amazing guy when it come to uh, being able to stay focused on the things of Christ. With all the, the, the stuff he had going on in his life, he was able to stay focused. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 20 and following, it says this, According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing... I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, uh, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I want not, for I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Now let's talk about this for a minute, because Paul's internal struggle was a real struggle. Who can tell me why Paul so desperately wanted to be done with this earthly struggle, if you would? Okay, he would be in the presence of Christ. Uh, <clears throat> to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Absolutely. But, but why? Why would Paul, more than any of us, want to shed this shell of a body. I'm sorry? It's a battle all the time for all of us. But why Paul more than anybody? Okay, some of the stuff he had done in the past, absolutely. There is no question in my mind that Paul, when he pillowed his head at night, there's no question in my mind that there were many nights he would see the faces of the people that he had either killed or had imprisoned. I, 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 there's no question that he, he struggled with that. Absolutely. But why would Paul so desperately want to shed this body Okay, that, because of the torment. Okay, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verses 23 and following, it says this. 
are they ministers of Christ? I speak uh, as, as a fool. I am more in labor more abundantly in stripes above measure. In other words, he was beaten countless times. In prison, more frequent. How many times was he in prison? A lot. In death, oft. What does that mean? No, most theologians believe that he had died on a couple of occasions, but God said, I'm not done with you yet. Because he was stoned. And nobody survived stonings except Paul. Of the Jews, five times received a uh, I 40 stripes, save one. So that means four times he was beaten 39 times. What, what did I say? Four. Five times. Five times he was beaten 39 times with a cat of nine tails. Do you know what a cat of nine tails is? Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a whip that has multiple fingers. And at the end of each finger is a piece of bone or glass or, or, or stone or something so that when they're whipped, <clears throat> the, the, the lashes go around the body and then when they pull it back, it just tears the flesh. 39 times. Five times he was beaten like that. Thrice I was beaten with a rod. Once I was stoned, thrice I was, uh, 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 thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day, uh, I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils, uh, my heathens, and in, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among uh, false brethren. In weariness and painfulness, in watching often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in drink and nakedness, besides those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Why would Paul want to shed this body? <laughs> if there has ever been someone other than Jesus Christ because of what happened to him, if there's ever been anybody who had the right to say, okay, God, I'm done, please take me home, it would be Paul. And and then yeah you take and then this this is a this is an incredibly important verse. Why is this why is this verse so important? Because he just goes through and he talks about all the physical abuse that he's taken for the cause of Christ. But then he says in verse twenty eight, and besides that, beside all the physical abuse I've had, besides that. Those things that are without, that cometh upon me, what? Daily. Daily. 
the care of all the churches. The emotional weight. The emotional strain. How many nights, I, I, I know me and, and I know there have been many nights that I have laid awake at night burdened for our church and people in our church. I don't know how many churches Paul started, but it was more than one. I can't imagine the burden that he carried with him 24-7. The emotional burden alone, apart from the physical burdens that he... You've got to understand that, you know, we talk about, um, uh, you know, the older you get, the more you hurt. And, you know, we got a little bit of arthritis. You know, can you imagine what poor Paul went through? Without without aspirin or a leave, I mean th- that poor guy. I mean, just getting up in the morning had to have been an or- ordeal physically, or or even lay down. I mean, the poor guy, his body was wrecked. Me. Stupid me, I tripped over something the other day. You would have thought, you, you know, how many of you ever stub your toe in the dark? It is, it is the most horrible thing. Huh? <laughs> yeah, my tooth. Yeah, that didn't feel too good either. <clears throat> but I love what he says in verse Philippians chapter 1 and verse 24. We read it a minute ago. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for who? For us. God is not done with me yet. The I. Paul was was so singular focused on what God had for him. He was not distracted with all the things that we get distracted with. I've said it before and I'll say it a hundred more times before I, before I die. One of the greatest tools that Satan uses is to keep us too busy. Keep us distracted. Satan wants us to be distracted because he, if he knows if he can get us distracted, then we will lose our focus on Jesus Christ. But all the stuff that Paul went through, everything that he went through, he never lost the focus. I also thought of Jacob. Jacob, or, or, or excuse me, Joseph, excuse me. After, after Jacob died, Joseph's brothers came to him and said, hey, now that dad's dead, you, he made you promise that you won't kill us. Remember, you, you know, you promised dad, you know, it, it, you know, a bunch of wimps. Um, but my point is this. Think of the life of Joseph. Humanly speaking, if there's ever been someone who had the right to carry a chip on their shoulder, it was Joseph. Humanly speaking, sold into slavery, lied about, thrown in prison, 
forgotten in prison. And, and the list goes on and on and on. Raised up to be the number, the second most powerful man in the world. But he never lost his focus. When Joseph's brothers come to him and said, okay, remember what dad said. What did Joseph say? Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 and following. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for I, uh, for, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant, you thought evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore, fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto him, unto them. Now, now let's, th- let's stop and think about this for a second. Joseph, not only did he keep his promise to his dad and not kill his brothers, but what did Joseph do? He, 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 not, only, he not only didn't kill them, but he blessed them. He nourished them, and he got them through. Not only, you know, I think of that, and I think, you know what? I don't know that I could have done that. I I, I see him not killing his brothers, okay? I kind of get that, because he kind of promised Dad, okay, Dad, I'll take care of them. You know, I won't kill them. But he didn't promise to take care of them. But he did. Why? Because he was focused on the things of God and not on his circumstances. Several years ago, some of you know this. I had a. Mo- I used to drive a motorcycle, and uh, I, I've uh, several years ago uh, I took a motorcycle safety class. Uh, and <clears throat> one of the things that you had to do in the class in order to pass the class is you had to do a figure eight. How many of you have motorcycle license in here? Just, okay, just two of you? Okay, remember doing the figure eight? You have to do a figure eight within a box. And, and the box is about, it's about 20 feet square, I think. Isn't it, am I, my memory serving me correct here? It's pretty small. You look at that and you're thinking, I got to do a figure eight in that? There's no way. But as you go through the class and everything, <clears throat> the instructor told us this. You will go where your eyes are looking. And when you start practicing the figure eight, it, you know, what is the tendency when you, when you drive? Okay, basically the tendency when you drive a car is to kind of look and you just kind of steer and kind of go where you want to go. You don't necessarily are looking like this, okay? <clears throat> but on a motorcycle, it's different. And what they taught us, I don't know if you guys went through this or not, but I did. This is what I, I, I experienced. 
what they, what they taught you is you enter the box, and <clears throat> in order to make that sharp of a turn, if you just kind of glance around and, and just make, you, you end up coming outside the box. You can't do it. So what you have to do literally is when you enter the box and you start your turn, you literally look like this. And when you do that, it pulls your body. And it, and it pulls the motorcycle into a very, very tight circle. And then you go through the circle this way, and then you come, come out, and then you pull back this way. If you don't pull your head and, and point your eyes to where you want to go, you'll never make the turn. But I'll never forget what the teacher said. Your motorcycle will go where you point your eyes. And she said, if you will trust me, because I argued with her. I'm like, there's no way I can do this. <clears throat> well, you don't argue. You, you, you argue all the time. <laughs> But she, she convinced me to trust her. And she was right. As long as I was pointing my eyes to where I needed to be, that motorcycle went where my eyes were pointed. And I've never forgotten that. And that is what Jesus is telling us here in this passage. The eye is the key to the mind. What your eye is focused on is the direction your life is going to go. An American preacher named uh, 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 Jay Chapman was in London and had the opportunity to meet uh, General Booth. Does anybody know who General Booth was? Anybody? Other than Melanie? Okay, General Booth was a real general in the, in the military, in the British, British military, but he was the founder of, of what? The Salvation Army. The Salvation Army okay? So he's the, he's the founder of the Salvation Army. So this, this pastor, preacher from America, Jay Chapman, goes to England and he gets to meet General Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. Uh, and it's, it, the article goes on. It says, who at the time was past 80 years old. Dr. Chapman listened reverently as the old general spoke of the trials and the conflicts and the victories. He asked the general if, it, if he would disclose the secret to success. He hesitated a second. Dr. Chapman said, and he saw tears coming from his eyes. And down and the tears down his cheeks. And then he said this, I will tell you the secret. God has had all there is of me. There have been men with greater brains than I. Men with greater opportunities. But from the day I got the poor of London on my heart 
and the vision of what Christ could do with the poor of London, I, I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth that there is. And if there is anything of power in the Salvation Army today, it is because God has all the adoration of my heart and the power of my will and all the influence of my life. Dr. Chapman said, he went away from the meeting with General Booth knowing this, that greatness of a man's power is his measure of surrender. The eye. General Booth was a very godly man who had his eye on, on what God gave him, the task that God gave him to do. And that is to reach the poor of London during his time. And he did that. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What is this a picture of? Focusing on the finish line. Paul was so focused on Jesus Christ standing at the finish line. He was so focused on that. What does he say? Forgetting those things which are... You know what? I, I don't worry about the, the mistakes I've made in the past. I'm moving forward for Christ. If we live in the past, we will never move forward. I press toward the mark, the singleness, the, the, the focus that Paul had. I found a quote. I have no, no idea where it came from, <clears throat> but I, I love the quote. Let the mind of the master be the master of your mind. I, I, don't, I don't know where it came from, but boy, I sure like it. Let, let the mind of the master be the master of your mind. What are you focused on? The third, th the third thing that, that, that Jesus brings out here <clears throat> is the will or the ultimate choice that Jesus gives us. The ultimate choice. Look at verse 24. Jesus, I, I, love, I love the way Jesus had the ability of taking very complex issues and bringing it down and giving you a choice, either A or B. Verse 24, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. You can't do it. You're going to serve one or the other. And Jesus gives you the option, which one are you going to serve? Are you going to serve God or are you going to serve mammon? So what is, what is mammon? Okay, world, worldly wealth. 
Okay, it's it's that it's that simple. Uh, are, are you going to serve God? Or are you going to serve the Almighty Dollar? Is basically what he's saying. Those of you that were in church last night, or last night, yeesh, I hope you were in church last night, because I wasn't here. Uh, uh, those of you that were in church this morning, I talked about it, and then we talked about it at the Bible study yesterday. But the root word here, serve, no man can serve. Guess what that word is, Rick? Doulas. Bond slave. It is the choice. It is the, it is the fact that we have the choice who we are going to, to serve. We are either going to be a bond slave to God, like Paul, or we are going to be a bond slave to the Almighty Dollar. That is the word that he uses here. The word master is the word kurios or lord. Uh, another, another meaning is absolute owner. So what is he saying here? No man can serve two lords or, or owners, absolute owners. You cannot do it. Let, let me put it to you in 21st century vernacular. No bond servant can be a slave to two owners. You can't do it. If you it, 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 again, you got to understand the culture. If you were a bond slave, uh, you you chose to be a slave to a certain master. You couldn't say, "Hey, I'm going to work part time for you, and then I'm going to go over here. I'm going to work part time for this guy too." That wouldn't work too good. No, no, you you were a bond slave to this master and this master only. And this is the idea that Jesus is talking about here. So when the audience that Jesus is talking to understood exactly what Jesus was saying. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Which, I've never understood that phrase. What does it mean? If I have it, I'm eating it. I'm sorry. I just, you know. I, I, anyway, but you, you know what I mean. But we choose which one we're going to serve. That's the, important, that's the important principle here. Now, I want to change directions here for a second. Yeah, I got time. <clears throat> I want to change directions here for, for a little bit. I want to give you an example of people in Scripture who chose to serve God. I, I just very quickly, as I, was, as I was doing this, part of this list came from this morning's message, and then... Um, part of it, it, it didn't. But I just sat down and I, and I just typed up a bunch of names as they, as they came to me of people in Scripture that I know chose to serve God. Okay? Uh, let me read you the list. Daniel, Joseph, David, Peter, Paul, Jonah, eventually, he chose, uh, Elijah and Elisha. That's the list that I have. Okay? But recently, I was reading in Isaiah, and I, I saw something I had never noticed before. In Isaiah chapter 48, in verse 10, the Bible says this, Behold, 
I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. And I, I thought about this. And, and I'm going to give you Rick Lynn's interpretation of Isaiah chapter 48, verse 10. This is, this is what I came up with. God did not refine Israel through prosperity, but through the furnace of trials, not to destroy, but to purify. God doesn't bring prosperity into our lives to refine us. And Israel <clears throat> had this tendency to walk with God and then turn their back on God and then they would get right and then they would walk with God for a while and then they and they they cycled through life. Now, how many of you have been saved more than a day? Okay? then you have done the same cycle. You, I hate to tell you this, but if you've been saved for more than a day, there's been a time that you've not always walked with God. But God has patiently refined you through the trials of the fire and brought you back where you need to be. Unfortunately, in my life, that's been... Too many times. But that's how God works. He doesn't refine us by giving us lots of money so that we can go out and blow it. How does He refine us? Through the furnace. And as I sat and I thought about it, the list of names that I read earlier Daniel, Joseph, David, Peter, Paul, Jonah, Elijah, and Elisha. They were all great people. Every one of them would, would, would fall into the category of a great person. But all of them, every single one of them, were refined in the furnace of affliction. When we get to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, we all know, we all know that if we choose to serve God, that there can sometimes mean hardship. But I'll tell you what, I would rather serve God in the midst of hardship than be out of the will of God. Again, how did Joseph summarize his life? He looks at his brothers and he said, but as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it for good. Joseph was purified in the furnace of affliction. How could Paul <clears throat> say, let, let me go back and find the verse again. Hold on. I'll get there. Just give me a second. Matthew 6, 24. 
How could Paul say in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 24, Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful to you. Paul so desperately wanted to leave this earthly body and be done with it. He, he so desperately was, I, again, I cannot imagine what it was like to live his life. I mean, you know, <clears throat> I'll just be honest. When I hurt, and I do, I've got arthritis. I've got a nice recliner to go home to. And I got this thing that my wife bought me. When I have a headache, it kind of, kind of, you know, you plug it in the wall and it goes around your neck and it, it's got these little things that kind of massage your neck and it vibrates and it, you know, <laughs> you know, we think we have it bad. You know, we get a little bit of a headache. What do we do? Oh, honey, can you go get me some Advil? You know, I mean, poor Paul, man. I, I just can't imagine what his life was like. In other words, what Paul was saying and what Joseph was saying, it was worth it all. It's worth it all. The burden of wealth, the heart determines freedom or slavery. The mind determines your direction. The will determines the ultimate choice. Let me close with that quote I read earlier. Let the mind of the master be the master of your mind. Stay focused on Jesus Christ. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. And Lord, we thank you for the word of God that challenges us and reminds us of just how insignificant we truly are and how significant you are. And Lord, we just ask that as we close our service, that your son's name would be lifted up and honored in everything that we say and do. We are truly thankful because we are truly blessed. For it's in Christ's name we pray.